Welcome back, everyone. It's been a wild and hot market. If you have been going to any open houses, if you have been trying to make an offer, you will have seen that home prices are clearly on the rise and we are just roaring right into the spring season. Now, given it's the end of the month, as you may all have been seeing, at basically the first of each month, I'm going to be posting the latest market updates in terms of stats, in terms of the actual numbers itself. But for this one, every week I go over some of the biggest headline articles. And this week, we're going to be going over several. We're going to talk about several Bay Area cities named the happiest in America. There's a there's a good opinion. Are we finished with starter homes? Uh, number three, Mayor Breed Proposition C in San Francisco. Very, very big project that's about to be underway. And we will find out in the next couple of days whether that will be passed or not. Something related to homeowners, how to reduce your capital gains tax bill after selling a home. But what are the benefits in general of being a homeowner? And the last but not least, why you are more likely to become a homeowner if your parents were. That's going to be uh, bringing up some interesting comments. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. So we always hear all these things. People are leaving the Bay Area. People complain about how 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 bad things are in the Bay. People complain about how the state is ran. But the reality is, every year, many Bay Area cities continue to be named the happiest in America. So who are the winners? Fremont has won it many times. And it's a combination of a lot of key factors. But Fremont wins it at number one. Number three, San Jose, California. Number seven, San Francisco. So all those people complaining, maybe the people are only complaining from the media perspective. At the end of the day, these places have been better than most places around the country. And why is that? Think about Fremont and think about why people like Fremont. You have lots of different types of homes there. You actually have a decent amount of new construction, mostly condos and townhomes that are happening around Tesla. But you have lots of great parks. You have good schools. You have a fantastic restaurants all over. Plenty of commercial shopping. Granted, there is no downtown, but they're kind of changing through that. So we'll see if that, if that ever plays out. But amazing for lifestyle, amazing for bike, cycling, amazing for running, amazing for playing sports. I play tennis and pickleball, lots of courts all over. San Jose is kind of similar. San Jose, bigger than Fremont, much, even more diverse when it comes to housing options. It does have a downtown, which I went to just last week, and it's super underrated. Highly suggest you that you go. Don't don't allow any stigmas to impact your decision. It's a lot nicer than you may think. So go there. There's lots of free parking that you can do. That's one of the benefits in downtown San Jose. And then San Francisco, as much bad press as it continues to have, still ranked one of the highest in the entire country. So take a look at this. How, how was it determined? Within the three main category, categories, emotional and physical well-being, income and employment, community and environment, Wallet Hub used 29 metrics, including all these different factors, and they came up with a happiness score. A big part of it, as you can see in the Bay, is, and especially a lot of these areas, is definitely on the income and employment opportunity. As much as you may hear of things of people getting laid off, there are certainly equally that are not as reported of people how much money people are making. Hence why a lot of people are making their moves in the Bay Area. Hence why you see companies like NVIDIA continue to break all-time records and impact the local market. Because this leads us to the next comment. Are we finished with starter homes? Right? 
QS can be in San Jose. Raised his four children in a two-bedroom, one-bath house in San Jose. It is now up for sale for $839,000. 776 square feet home. I mean, you might as well just buy a townhome given it's that small. But the, the fact is this. The traditional sense of the meaning of starter homes, like those small little bungalows or detached single-family homes, in the Bay Area, at least the core Bay Area, the reality is generally, yes, they will not build that product ever again. Why? Because if you're a developer and you can sell a lot of condos and townhomes for more as a sum, then you can sell separately of those individual ones. What do you think a developer will do? What do you think a capitalist will do? Right? They will generally continue to build that. That's why you see generally most of the places are doing that. That being said, there are some developers in some areas that that product will not sell well. So I'll give you some examples. If you think about the one by Camden, by Rosewood, they built brand new single family homes. Now, that being said, all of those homes are plus or minus $3 million, but they're nice homes. They're two-story homes. They're very obviously modern. They have in-law units, but they chose to do that versus like a row of townhomes. Now, they could have done a row of townhomes, but the, the situation is all dependent on specific areas. Some areas are just more geared towards the ability to have a lot more townhomes and condos. A lot of those areas tend to be near a big transit station, though, right? So think about that. Think about where all the new construction tends to be, at least there are condos and townhomes. They are near transit stops. Now, versus places that are a little further out, you can buy single-family homes. You can go to Gilroy. You can go to Hollister. You can go to Tracy. You can go to Brentwood. You can go to these all these different places. You can go to Lathrop. All these places around, they don't have that public transit option, right? So because of that, then they the 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 individual buyers would not be happy with the condo and tunnel so they have to sell the single family so that's that's the backstory so the idea is are we are we finished with these starter homes from this traditional sense of like a single family attached in the core areas the answer is yes now does that mean you don't have any options the answer is no your starter home is a condo and tunnel hopefully that helps you understand your options and then you can plan accordingly and down the road you may elect to do a trade up you may sell that buy a new place. Most people are doing that. Okay. Let's talk about a very big proposition right now, which is proposition C in San Francisco. Now this is a very important measure and we will see what happens. There's clearly going to be two sides of it. And we're going to review that quick. Uh, we're going to re review that. And you leave it in the comments below with which side you believe, or you are going to vote for, or what you think, because the reality is this, the office space in San Francisco is very bad. And the question is, Will the city do anything to encourage, aka potentially a tax credit, aka just not taxing them, to allow more housing or a lot more conversions to be done? And I have my opinion about it, but let's take a look at both sides, right? So who's supporting this or, or what is this, right? So Proposition C, if you vote yes on this, is exempting property from the real estate transfer tax, ranging point from point. Five to six percent. The first commercial property is converted to residential use for properties receiving final approval by 2030. Limiting the total amount of space that can be exempt from the transfer tax to an aggregate total of five million square feet and increasing the amount of office space that can be developed by factoring the amount of office space that has been converted to residential use. A no vote opposes exempting property from the real estate transfer tax. The first time commercial property is converted to residential use and increase the limit of, of office space. So as you can imagine, from London Breed's perspective, the mayor, 
if you remove this, that may encourage more developers to rerun their math. If you don't have to have that have that red tape in, does this potentially make sense? That's the yes side of it. The no side of it, they're saying, look, they're just basically giving them bailouts for these rich people to not do anything. Like they're gonna they're gonna quote unquote do it anyways. Now, in my opinion, it's actually fairly simple. The fact of the matter is, what are we talking about? Like, just look at how many empty office buildings there are right now. Like, and not just whole buildings, but many levels. And you got to figure out ways to stimulate that, right? Because if they don't, they can just default on this property. They're not actually losing money per se. Like, they can just default on this property and just give it back to the bank. Like, it's not as it will be, it will cause its own catastrophic issues, but to not take advantage of this, because keep in mind, other cities around the states, many places in Canada are already doing that. They're going to be doing this locally. And if they're able to do this, they're also reducing the amount of footprint. They're reducing the amount of supply when it comes to when it comes to office buildings, which will then bring those office buildings more valuable, but also create more housing, which people keep complaining about. Why do we not have more housing? It brings those opportunities up. So in my opinion, I'm going to be, I would vote yes on this, but leave in the comments below with what you think. There's no, there's no, it's like somebody's going to have to give. And the question is what's better for the overall area? Like, do you think we have too much? Because what, what, what else can they do? They're, they're not going to be able to fill those up at all. They, they need, or, or they're selling, selling it for dirt cheap, right? That's how it ultimately will play out if this does not get passed. So, so we'll see soon, but this is a very, very big proposition. And who knows, this may impact other regions throughout the Bay. Maybe Oakland will do something about that too. Downtown San Jose, Oakland, downtown San Jose, quite frankly, don't have nearly the same amount of office buildings relative to San Francisco because they were, they had a really big peak. And they kept building a lot during that time. So they don't have the same kind of issues. But either way, if it can get passed, then it, it could be it could lead to something else. Or it could lead to be lead to more. Next, your home sale may leave you in a tax shock. Here's how to reduce your capital gains tax bill. So this is partially true and partially not true. It will leave you in a in a shock because you can see this how much equity people have trapped in their homes. And one of the benefits is this ability to shield shield profits when it comes to being a homeowner. Single homeowners can shield up to $250,000 of home sales profit from capital gains taxes, while married couples can exclude up to $500,000. This is a very, very powerful way to be able to have tax-free gains to then be able to roll that into the next home. So back to the beginning of our, back to the beginning of our show, you saw a couple of things related to the starter home as a condo or townhome. It's a lot more effective to be able to buy a condo or townhome, stop renting, live in that for three to five years, and then use those proceeds to then buy your single family than it is to keep accumulating money. Unless, of course, you work at NVIDIA and that outperforms, outperforms the market anyways. But in general, that's how most are kind of hedging their bets. And that's how most get started. Right? You start somewhere, you take advantage of this because if it is tax-free capital gains, you got to think about it that way, right? You got to earn an extra, if depending on which income bracket you are, many people are at very high income brackets. You may have to earn an extra 20% on the returns to be able to have it match what it is to housing. And because housing uses leverage, which is like a loan, 
it allows you to grow your gains a lot faster too, relative to how much you're putting in. So that's all part of the equation as to how people determine that. Now, when it comes to that exclusion, that is basically called a residence test. The idea is you need to live in the home for the last two out of five years. So this brings up to a separate matter that a lot of people are considering. A lot of people are thinking, okay, I, I start off with a condo town home. I'm gonna rent, I'm gonna buy a new place. I buy a single family. So I help a lot of people buy a new place. And then they'll plan to rent out the current one and test it out for a year. You're able to do so. But then the following year makes it more interesting. Do you want to keep resuming that? And because you may be at, if you decide to keep going down that path, you may be at risk to then lose this ability for the capital gains exclusions, right? And now uh, there's been a lot of hope that maybe one day that they can increase it. I doubt it. Most people, most of the time, there's all these different ways of trying to get more tax money, but this is a very, very powerful thing. Now, some of the other things that people do to technically improve upon that margin is when it comes to capital improvements, right? So capital improvements can, can modify the actual profits. And generally, for example, I just had my Milpitas listing just come on the market. The clients renovated the bathroom, like brand new bathroom. It not just is going to help with this side of things potentially, but it also will help increase the value of it. Now, to be fair, even though they put $30,000 in, that may have returned fifty to $60,000 plus because of that, maybe even more. So you'll get, still get taxed a good amount, but um, but but uh, that, that was kind of what they're pointing out about like certain improvements to prolong his useful life. So there are some ways to, to do that. And last but not least, to wrap it up, and this is an important one. If your parents are homeowners, you're more likely to be a homeowner. Uh, the, the people agree with that. How many of you are first time homeowners and your parents never bought one? I would say there's many reasons for that. And I'm going to kind of break it down by scenarios for sure. Number one, if your parents are homeowners, they probably have a good amount of money. And so many times those people are, as you can see, directly giving money to their kids to be able to afford a place, or they may have given money to their kids to be able to pay through college so they don't have to go through student debt right so these are obviously a big benef benefit very beneficial now granted they were also the ones smart enough and the ones that that had the mentality to do it early on to buy because trust me if you ask your parents when they bought back in the day it was very expensive in their mind back in the day everyone will say the same thing today you'll say the same thing a decade later, you will say the same thing. A decade later, you will say, I wish I bought more. So did your parents. So did everyone else. So did your grandparents. So did your aunts and uncles. It's all the same story over and over again. It's always because it's always scary going from renting to owning, paying your rent amount versus owning. Owning is always more expensive than renting in the Bay Area because people make a lot of money here. Only areas that are like the Midwest, where it's a lot cheaper, there's a reason why their homes don't go up much. It's because the incomes don't go up much, right? So that's all part of the overall dynamics of a local area. So just be mindful and understanding of how that works. The other reason, to be fair, is also, quite frankly, even without them funding it, I also see that they have the mentality to also share that story, right? They share the story like, look, when my parents came four decades ago, they 
they shared a, a place with another family to buy a little condo so they can stop renting and they can start accruing the assets and the and the gains from that. And then after they they because they use that to save money, they had like six people in a two bedroom condo. Eventually, they sold that and they separated. They bought their individual single family house. And then after that, they they sold that. They bought their bigger single family house. You can see if you have a longer time horizon, which people should have, they but at the same time understand the the process. They they also can they they can also see that they're like five to ten year kind of time horizons of each move. And so they use those gains to then get up to each lever. But it, so if you knew that process, you would be in a big advantage versus others. As I said, I'm just going to keep renting forever or I'm going to keep complaining that things are too expensive. The reality is most people, especially if you're watching, you have the ability to do it. And that's why you're even watching. So a lot of kudos for you all to even spend the Thursday evening live with me. And many of you are watching live to be able to at least have that mentality to be like, while it may, it may be today, it may be in the future, the mentality of, of ultimately making this move and trying to get into that column sooner than later. But that is how people get going, right? That is how people get started. How, how effective do you think you can time the market? If you can time the market, did you buy during COVID, like right when COVID happened, when the world sounded like it was ending? Well, let's just give another scenario. Did you buy at the end of 2022 when home prices tanked by 25%? Did you? Right. So if you didn't time it, then you were like everyone else, which is fine, that it's impossible to market time. So instead of trying to figure it out of the best price relative to the best rate, like figure out what you can control. Prices are X. Interest rates are Y. I can afford up to Z. What are my options, Spencer? Spencer will give you the options within five minutes and then you will know exactly what to focus on and then you will be successful. Right. So that's the mentality that people are having now today, fortunately. But for sure, if you are parents or homeowners, that's a big part of the reason, too. And the last but not least, I'm going to bring up the last example is to be fair, there is no shame for people to live with their parents and live at home. Because think about this. Is there any shame to save three to four thousand post tax a month? As long as you're not leeching off of them and you're helping them in their own ways. You're saving a, a ton of money, right? So you can then use that money to then buy your place, right? How much how much savings is that? Think about it, right? If you're spend if you're saving three k a month, that's thirty six thousand a year. So within three years, that's over a hundred thousand dollars that can easily be used for most down payments, right? So don't be pressured by people, but like you gotta get your own place, you gotta spend these amount of money. Either you can save money that way. That's being part of your parents for being homeowners. If your parents were renters. That wouldn't really have helped. Or if you're really trying to save money that way, then just find a room to rent out with other people instead of getting your, your own place. Because just think about that quick math of how much money that is post-tax that you'll be saving to accelerate your ability to get into a place sooner or later. And then you do, do the role reversal. You can then be the mini landlord and then you can rent it out the other room so that you're collecting their, their income. So I have a lot of people that are in their 20s. They're doing that right now. And they're buying $500,000 million homes for that reason. That does that scenario doesn't work forever. Eventually, you will outgrow it, right? Like you get a partner, your wife, your husband may not like that. You have kids. They're not going to like that. You have more money. You're not going to like that, 
right? So these are all the scenarios that ultimately play out, but it, it, there are different strategies that are in place. If you have any questions or you want to go, go over the, the real estate market, call or text me below 408-547-4590. See you in the next one. Bye now.